For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 22. This is Writing Excuses. Characters out of their depth. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm in over my head. Yes. We're going to talk about characters who are in a little bit or a lot over their heads. Um, let's get right into this. Um, I often really like the idea of a Watson character. This is a character who fills the role in the plot that they get things explained to them uh, based off of, obviously, off of Watson from the Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, this is also sometimes referred to as the Howard. The Howard. The Howard yes, the Howard. The, the cabbage head. That has been my contribution <laughs> to the body of world literature for the last decade. <laughs> so It's appreciated. Why, number one, will we, would we want characters to be out of their depth? I need and, a job. <laughs> <laughs> and why then do we put them in and then take such efforts to explain things to them? With the simplest way to explain this to non-genre fiction readers is if you are picking up genre fiction for the first time, uh, these things are not going to make sense to you unless there is a character to whom it can be explained and you get to ride along with that character and, and get introduced to this universe. For people who are familiar with genre fiction, for people who love... Uh, you know, hard sci-fi or, uh, you know, deep magic secondary world fantasy, uh, often they expect to just be immersed. And, you know, having a Watson, uh, having a Howard in in the book isn't all that important to them. Um, But it's still useful if you are trying to introduce a concept and drive it home uh, so that it, so that it doesn't get, doesn't get forgotten something with particular import. Yeah, in in children's theater, we call this the gateway character. It is the character with whom the audience identifies. That's Mm -hmm. much friendlier to me. Yeah, and (laughs) and the idea is that the character is going through a similar experience to the audience. So the audience doesn't know what's going on and they're they're having trouble being oriented. And so having a character who is doing that, who is actively proceeding through being oriented and figuring things out— gives the audience a gateway into something that would otherwise be inaccessible. And it's an important character ha- to have in children's uh, stage and and fiction as well, because that's that's basically a child's experience of life. Everything is new to yeah. them. Right. Yeah. That's- this is why you see portal fantasies a lot in middle grade, much more so than you see in uh, science fiction fantasy for older readers mm-hmm. is because – you know, that same thing. It, it lowers the learning curve, but it also is shared experience. Yeah. Well, and that, I was going to mention fantasy too, because we're calling this the Watson character, but that's exactly the role that Bilbo plays as well. 
and and hobbits in general. You know, they have never left the Shire. They have never seen any of this cool stuff we're exploring. And, you know, s- countless apprentice figures in epic fantasy are filling this role. Now, Lines like, uh, you know, the, and now I don't remember the line, where Samwise is talking about how about how he's only heard of these things in songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, these things are only heard of in legend. And then he meets them and... They are different. They are they are relatable. Um, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Well, and to get back to your question, why would you use this kind of character? One of the roles that it serves, if you're if you're doing this kind of apprentice, the the Bilbo version instead of the Watson version, is that the character is going to change, and so suddenly we have an arc of growth. So we're giving we're dropping someone in over their head, and then watching them learn how to swim. They also provide a really easy way to do exposition for your world building. So they serve a number of different functions. Uh, I've just been reading uh, Becky Chambers' A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, and Rosemary, who is one of the major point-of-view characters, has never been on a long-haul deep spaceship. She grew up on Mars. Uh, She is in over her head. Uh, she's she's very competent in one area and all of the other areas she's read she's got book learning but she doesn't know and um, and it because a great deal of what this story is is the long journey to to the small angry planet what winds up happening is that as they get farther into the territory more it's interesting because more and more of the characters wind up becoming Watson characters you know, this is where I was going to go next. You two have both pre-answered my question <laughs> uh, because you are so smart. But my question is, a lot of times these sorts of characters, particularly when done maybe shallowly, become audience uh, favorites to hate, mm-hmm. the opposite of an audience favorite, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. They pile on this character because this character is so often uh, – Dan and I have a joke about a certain property that we will – Oh, we not? I was totally going to mention it. Um, where know. the Fine. Watson character, you just get so tired of having to this have things explained. not knowing anything. Um, that you just check out from that character. You're not interested in them at all. So how do you avoid that? And Dan pre-answered it by saying, by making them have an arc. Yeah. Uh, which automatically builds our interest in them. How else can you make one of these characters work without being... Avoid a lot of times the things that are being explained to the Watson character are really an as you know, Bob. They are things mm-hmm. that the character should know, and sometimes they're things that the audience already knows, and it's annoying. It's like, but we know this. Right. Force force the Watson character. Don't give them as much information as you were planning on giving them, and give them the moment where they still don't understand, and then they put it together. Um, that's, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to bring up the, it's, it's almost a workshop in Watson characters and exposition. And that is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Mm -hmm. in which Arthur Dent knows nothing. And every time he asks a question, Ford says, you know, read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then the narrator reads the book to us and gives us the exposition. And I'm not saying that this is a brilliant and perfect way to have done it. I'm saying that in terms of story structure, you can look at this and you can see these are when we needed to know these things. And it's very clearly telegraphed. Um, 
And if you look at it in terms of the outline of the story itself, there's a lot to be learned there. A uh, One way to, to, to do this is the buddy cop. And a lot of people don't consider the buddy cop to be a kind of fish out of water character over their head thing, because really it's two. You know, you've got Jackie Chan, who doesn't know anything about L.A., and you've got Chris Tucker, who doesn't know anything about Chinese culture, and the two of them have to work together. So they're each an expert and in over their head at the same time and are bouncing off of each other constantly. Oh, yeah, that, that is a really good example because it equalizes the, the, the power dynamic. Exactly. And a lot of that is when, when the Watson character can become annoying mm-hmm. is that they not only are they, they a fish out of water but in, in terms of knowledge base, but that also reduces their agency and, and hierarchy. And it's fine in a short story like the, the Holmes things because you don't have to sustain it. But an entire novel of that can get draining. Right. And you'll notice, at least I've noticed, in different adaptations of Sherlock Holmes, Watson is dumber in some of them than he is in others. If you read the original stories, he's actually a very competent, smart person who is just not as smart as Holmes. Yeah. And so you read this and you're like, wow, Watson's smarter than me. Holmes is even smarter than him, rather than being like, oh, Watson, you idiot. Yeah. I dearly love the uh, the CBS Sherlock Holmes, the elementary with Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu because Watson is so sharp. So, and we get we get a character arc for Watson in which we are introduced to Holmes' deductive methods, very Watsonianly, for lack of a better <laughs> term. But once you're embedded in the series, uh, boy, she's yeah. smart. Well, and what's really going on there is the thing we talk about all the time is that the elements are doing more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Watson is not just there to be the cabbage head. She's there to do many other things as well, and that makes her an interesting and cool character. Yeah. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's pause to talk about a time when I was a cabbage head. Ooh. Yes, this is, this is very fun. Um, I ran across a little while ago a video essay on YouTube by a creator called Super Eyepatch Wolf. And this... Um, essay is called Why Pro Wrestling Pro Wrestling is Fascinating. Why Professional Wrestling is Fascinating. And, you know, I am one of those people who had always in the back of my mind smirked, maybe even sneered a little bit about professional wrestling and all those people, all those fools who would participate and partake of this media. And I watched this essay and I saw someone who was deeply passionate and connected to something that was very outside my own experience. Uh, a lot of this essay is about pro wrestling in Japan. And uh, the author's love of this just beamed through, shone through um, to the point that I was so invested in these characters in a Japanese pro wrestling federation that I knew nothing about before this essay that it just knocked me off my high horse, told, taught me how someone loves a narrative that I'm not familiar with but that I could totally see myself loving, and just 
taught me a whole bunch about life and understanding other people's passions about mm. the world. So if you, like me, perhaps have looked down your nose at some piece of media, perhaps pro wrestling itself, go watch this essay because watching someone who is an expert in their field talk about something they love can really show you that we're all cabbage heads sometimes. And it's, uh, it's part of life and it's a good thing. There's one more topic along these lines I really want to touch on in this particular podcast, and that is talking about scenes where you want the reader to be a little confused. Um, because I notice that a lot of new writers, when I'm reading their writing, they'll often put in things that are intended to be confusing, world-building elements that haven't been explained yet. And the readers, the feedback will be, well, I'm really confused. And the author says, aha, you're supposed to be. And that's a good instinct. You don't want to give readers everything up front. You want to leave them questioning and wondering. But it goes wrong when you're reading it as a reader and you think, I'm confused and I don't want to read anymore because it's just getting more confusing, as mm -hmm. opposed to, I'm confused, but the characters are confused, and I'm excited to find out the answers. How do you distinguish between these two things? Well, I think it, the answer is actually somewhat embedded in the, the way you phrased the question, which is, I'm confused and the character is confused. And one of the things that does is it puts your reading experience in alignment with the character, which can can give you a more intimate experience. The other thing is that it, it lets you know that it's a design state. It's like if the character is confused, then this isn't supposed to be something that's easy to understand. And that's one of the functions that the Cabbage Head character can have for you is that to, to signpost that design state. For me, one of the other things is to that you need to be selective about the things that you want the reader to be confused about. When I see this a lot of times, the the writer has delivered a bunch of different confusing things. And so you have nothing to ground you. So for me, what I would do when I when I have something that I want that is deliberately supposed to be confusing is that I make sure that my reader is grounded on a couple of different things so that there's some trust and a little bit of orientation before I hit them with something that is is confusing. And one of the my favorite examples of this is actually uh, in Buckaroo Banzai, um, which is it's a throwaway line, but uh, but they they're on a tour of the, the bonsai house and uh, with the, the Jeff Goldblum character. And, and they walk into the room and they have clearly been talking about other things that they have been touring through. And, and there's a little bit of, oh yeah, and you did that thing with the, the flux capacitor and that's fascinating. Flux capacitor is wrong, but we'll just keep going. Uh, oscillation overdrive. Uh, you did that. And then why is that watermelon the vice? I'll tell you later. And they keep going and they never actually come back to it. But what it does for you is it says there are going to be some things in this world that you understand and there are going to be some things that you don't. But there are people here who will guide you through this. And, and it, it is, uh, it's, a, it's such a simple throwaway line, but it is very much a trust building thing. It's also a perfect example of something we talked about last month, which is using setting details to reinforce theme Yeah, by having – the setting detail that they promise to explain, but they don't, it actually leaves you saying, ah, there's just so much more to this world. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. another good example of it is the, the 2016, 2017 uh, BBC adaptations of uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Mm. And there are scenes in there where it is, 
it is an avalanche of this doesn't make any sense. It's a huge amount of information. And it's the sort of thing that you would put down the book. You would turn off the TV. And then the Watson character says, Dirk, what is going on? How is all of this related? And Dirk says, I don't know. I just know that it's going to be. And and suddenly we get it. Oh, that's this is what a holistic detective does. The point of this is that all of this information doesn't make sense now, and you've just promised me that you're going to tie it together later. And I, I love mm-hmm. that. I was absolutely on board at that moment. Yeah. Um, another example that, that uh, comes to mind is... Thor Ragnarok. Hmm. When Thor first arrives on the crazy weird planet with no powers and has no idea what's going on, he's very much in over his head. And the all the initial stuff with like the people picking through the junkyard is very confusing and never really gets explained. But what makes it work is when the woman shows up, when Valkyrie shows up. And the fact that there are now suddenly two factions stabilizes that world. And we realize, oh, I don't necessarily have to understand all of this because I know now that there are two different groups of people that can interact with it in different ways. And that makes it seem much smoother without really telling you anything. We're going to go ahead and break here. Howard, you have some homework for us. Yes. Um, Pick something you haven't read, something you haven't watched, something that is new to you. Um, If you've if you've got Netflix, you know, you open up Netflix and turn to something maybe you just wouldn't watch otherwise. Um, watch the first five minutes with a note card or notebook or something in your hand and then stop and write down all of the questions you have. Make a list of the stuff that didn't make sense. If it's a book, uh, five pages, ten pages. I don't know where the cutoff mark will be for you. Um, but you consume a portion of the media right at the beginning, write down all of your questions. Now, continue to consume, continue to watch, continue to read, and look at your list of questions and see which ones got answered, see which ones turned out to not be important, and see which questions you didn't even get around to asking that turned out to be important. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.